Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, but you heard that in the intro. If you are a clinic owner, healthcare administrator, or manager of a department, and you are struggling to bring in more patients to retain them throughout their course of care, um, or even just to create meaningful, impactful experiences in your clinic, then check out what we do at Rehab U Practice Solutions. I tell folks that we're, we try to help humanize healthcare again. In fact, that's the title of the forthcoming book that I've got, um, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. So if you want to do that in a way that is financially impactful for you or for your organization, but also that keeps the human element of healthcare alive and well and ingrained in your organization, then reach out to us. Love to have a conversation with you about your clinic, your organization, and uh, and how we can help. All right, what do we have on the docket today? In line with a lot of these conversations about running healthcare businesses and making sure that we're going to be around <laughs> in the next couple years to treat as many patients as we can or impact as many lives as we can, it, it's required that we have some business savvy, that we have some understanding of how to keep the organization financially solvent and sustainable into the future. Now, when, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I'm thinking you know, profit and loss statements, um, making sure that revenue cycle management is handled appropriately so that the cash flow is there when we need to, to pay our clinicians, pay our staff, keep the lights on, all that good stuff. One of the pieces that gets overlooked, or at least it gets overlooked in the clients that I work with and even myself in the clinic that I own and run, is the whole piece of real estate and how that affects the bottom line and the ultimate financial sustainability of the clinic or organization. Take, for example, a lease. I don't know about you, but when um, when I got into the private practice game and purchased a, a clinic and I was going to you know, talk to the landlord and figure out the lease so we could move forward just to be able to have a space to treat patients and clients, I really didn't have very much, if any, <laughs> <laughs> um, guidance in how that process was supposed to run, what I was supposed to look to. I mean, sure, I shopped around a bit and I found what was appropriate rates or what you know normal market rates were for, for commercial leases in my area and then kind of went from there. But depending on where you're at location-wise, what the market looks like, the overall trends, little changes in that situation could mean the difference between it being more financially advantageous to purchase rather to lease. Sometimes when you're re renegotiating a lease or you're up for a renewal and it's time to look at either leaving or staying and how that all plays, 
there's a lot of unknowns, especially for those of us who are, I'm speaking specifically to those of us that are clinicians turned business owner or practice owner. Like we're not real estate brokers. We didn't get into the, into business or into our career so that we could become experts in the field of our local real estate market, right? But it has a huge impact on our business, our long-term financial health, the overall value of the business. If you end up being in a, in a position to purchase or build a clinic or a space as opposed to leasing and all the long-term implications of that. So this week I'm having a conversation with uh, Colin Carr. He's from Carr Real Estate Company and they focus on commercial real estate for healthcare professionals for private practice owners. Um, And we talk a little bit about the importance of uh, educating and protecting healthcare providers in the field of commercial real estate. Because again, depending on how how the deal shakes out, you could end up leaving, in some cases, Colin describes in the episode, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, whether they're opportunity costs or whether they're actual overpayments that you're, that you're paying out. And all of that affects our ability as clinicians to care for patients, right? If the money's tight, if we can't hire a new clinician, if we go under, God forbid, um, and we don't, you know, we cease to continue operating our clinic, then we're not treating patients anymore. So um, this is a great conversation. Hopefully you walk away from, um, from the conversation, from the episode, with at least some key ideas or concepts that you can take for the next time your lease comes up or um, whether you're thinking about purchasing a, a space for a clinic or continuing to lease or however, hopefully it just gives you a few pointers or a few things to think about whenever that topic comes up. So without further ado, here's Colin Carr talking about real estate, commercial real estate in healthcare. All right. Well, hey, Colin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I am excited about talking about real estate and all of the the ins and outs of that market, particularly when it comes to healthcare. But before we dive into that, why don't you give everybody kind of a a brief rundown of who you are, your work, and kind of what brought you to the healthcare real estate space? That sounds great. So uh, my name is Colin Carr. I have been involved in commercial real estate now since I was 19, so uh, over two decades. And... uh, Got there with a pretty simple path. Uh, started managing apartment complexes when I was 19 years old. Uh, managed uh, multifamily buildings for a number of years, and then I had a desire to get into brokerage and start, you know, working on the on the the buying and leasing side. So, uh, got into brokerage at 23, and I started doing stuff for large retailers like Wendy's, Walmart, Blockbuster, groups like that, and uh, enjoyed that. But uh, over a few years period of time, started moving into more office, more industrial work. And long story short, uh, I started doing a bunch of healthcare real estate deals. I started working for a bunch of people that owned large medical office buildings and hospital campuses. And within a very short period of time, I realized that the, the, the healthcare providers that were doing these transactions were just getting crushed by landlords. Like when I worked on a, on a Walmart deal, like Walmart had super sophisticated real estate advice and the agents working on them. So it was a fair fight. Walmart going up against a, a, a landlord or an owner of, of dirt or, you know, a building and then same thing, you know, doing other office space, you know, savvy businesses having representation versus savvy landlords. I started doing these healthcare deals and I was on the landlord side. And so they had savvy help me and these doctors and providers start showing up to either lease new space or to negotiate renewals. 
and they had no idea what they were doing. And I watched a couple of healthcare providers. I watched a plastic surgeon. I watched a physical therapist. I watched a pharmacist just get crushed in negotiations by landlords. And it just became very obvious to me that they needed help. So I started making a lot of, uh, or started taking a lot of my time and effort going and talking to healthcare providers and started doing a lot of tenant rep work, helping them to buy buildings, lease new space, renegotiate their leases. And it was meaningful to me. Like it, it, it moved the needle for me uh, personally and emotionally more than any other transaction that I had done in the past. And the doctors were incredibly thankful for the work. So just start focusing more and more on that. And within a short period of time, I decided to start uh, our company now, which is called CAR. And we started in Colorado and we're now in, I think, 45 states. And oh, awesome. we represent several thousand doctors and providers per year. Yeah, that's great. And I, I love how you mentioned that story of like, folks getting taken, not taken advantage of, but maybe that's what it is. They get kind of get crushed in these negotiations. I always say that you know, people that get into healthcare don't necessarily get into healthcare because they're business people, right? They get into healthcare because they want to serve people. They want to help people get better. And there's just a lot of things that come with owning a practice or starting a practice that kind of like we're just out of our depths, right? And that's kind of like the first big hurdle. So specifically like with real estate deals in general, whether it's a lease or whether it's purchasing or building, like how much really is on the line for these healthcare providers when they're starting these negotiations? Yeah, I mean, the typical transaction, there's probably a hundred to $200,000 um, in play that you could either, uh, you could either capture or gain in your favor or you could lose towards the landlord. And that number, people hear that like, is it really that high? The answer is yes. So let's let's take a, a standard space. Let's say a standard space is maybe three thousand square feet. Depends on you know if you're a therapist, if you're a dentist, a veterinarian. But three thousand square feet. If you're overpaying by two or three dollars per square foot on that space, you're overpaying by six to nine thousand dollars per year. Over a ten year period of time, now we're at sixty to ninety thousand dollars. If you have four percent annual increases versus two and a half percent annual increases. You're going to lose another ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars there, and then you take concepts like like free rent. Even on a lease renewal, it's very common to get free rent to start a brand new lease term, even if you're already in the space. So if you weren't paying rent for another three or four months or two months, again, there's tens of thousands of dollars there. If you need to renovate your space or you need to build out your space as uh, brand new from from scratch, I mean, landlords contribute significant amounts of money to do that. So if it's a new space. It might be $100,000, $140,000 the landlord would pay to build that space out for you. If it's a renewal, they might give you $40,000, $50,000 to renovate that space. And so you start adding all these costs up and you can very easily get to $100,000, $200,000 on a five to 10 year deal like that. And most healthcare providers, as you mentioned, they don't get into healthcare because they want to get into an intense, aggressive, uncomfortable negotiation they get in there because they want to help people. And so when they get into those aggressive negotiations, they just take the path of least resistance, which is let's, let's get a deal done. And when they do that, they leave a ton of money on the table. Yeah. Part of it is them not knowing what they don't know. Right. And then the other part is, um, I guess, not even knowing the questions to ask, right? Like, do you come across clients that they want to get a space open and they're just totally clueless about even where to begin? Like they they found a location. <laughs> That's as far as they got. Right. Yeah, I mean that that's it. It's you know, most healthcare providers might do a commercial real estate deal, you know, one, two, maybe three times in their entire career. And yet, in order to do one effectively, you've got to know the market. Like what are other landlords or sellers willing to do for you in that market? What is it? What is a, an aggressive deal? What's an average deal? What's a poor deal? 
where's the current economy at? How's the current economy affecting these landlords and sellers, what they're willing to do? So there's a lot of variables that are there. And the bottom line is uh, the do-it-yourself approach of just showing up, trying to figure out how to get a deal done. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can get a deal done as a doctor. The question is, did you leave 100, 200, 300,000 hours on the table? So I think a lot of people are asking the question, can I find a space and can I, can I get a lease that works? The answer is yes, anybody can do that. The question is, how much did you really lose in that process? Yeah. Or how much did you save or get back? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we'll I guess we'll, we'll get to like, should we buy or should we lease down the line? But when it comes specifically to these types of negotiations, maybe with a landlord, like what are those big mistakes or questions that are just unasked by clinicians that really should be asked? And what kind of what omissions are there, if you would, that kind of leave a lot of this money on the table for clinicians? Yeah. So let's talk about the mistakes that they make. I think that's a good place to start. Um, so the, the top mistake or some of the top mistakes that healthcare providers make are number one, they just try to do it themselves. I mentioned that earlier. They just, they just show up to a property. They call and say, Hey, will you show me a space or they're already in a lease and it's time to renew it. And they just ask the landlord to send me a proposal and send, what would you guys be willing to do if I stayed, send me a proposal. The problem with that is you're telling the landlord that you don't know what you're doing. You're communicating to the landlord that you don't have representation. You're not a market expert. You probably don't have the time to really feel out the entire market to get out there and make it happen. And you're starting at a disadvantage where the landlord is going to assume I can probably take advantage of this person. I can probably charge this person more money, give them less concessions, and they really probably don't know what's happening. So mistake number one is, is the do-it-yourself approach. Mistake number two, and you can have this with the do-it-yourself approach, or you can have this if you have a, an agent or a broker that's not as savvy, is you pick one property and you just start negotiating on it and you have no other basis for what the market bears. Most people like, like in residential real estate, you go out there and look at houses either online or you drive around or with an agent. And then when you find the house you want, you submit an offer and it's in a contract form. And if they say yes and sign it, you're locked and loaded. You're in a binding contract. In commercial real estate, you negotiate on, on a non-binding basis through either a letter of intent or a request for proposal. And so the top companies out there, like a Starbucks, a Chipotle, you know, a Charles Schwab, a Lockheed Martin, take your pick. When they go to the market, they look at all their options and then they start negotiating with three or four landlords or sellers simultaneously. They're, they're poking this guy over here for how much can they get in TI allowance? How much lower release rate can they get over here? Um, can they get a purchase option over here? And they're feeling out the entire market and they're negotiating aggressively with three or four landlords simultaneously. And that allows them to leverage one offer against another offer. And they understand the market. They're not going to wonder, is this a good deal? They're going to know exactly where they want to be and what they're willing to pay. And so uh, another huge mistake is doctors just, just find one property, start negotiating and they have maybe a basis for where the negotiation started, but they have no clue if they're overpaying by 100,000 over five years or 200,000 over five years because they don't know what else is out there. So yeah. I mean, that's a huge one too, just you know, picking one property and negotiating on it compared to what? And this is the biggest issue that people make during a lease renewal as well, is they're in a space, it's worked well for them, it comes time to renew it, and they just assume that the terms being presented are decent a lot of times you're overpaying by 20, 25%, believe it or not. Yeah. So are you saying sometimes too, when you, when these providers go to like a landlord, for example, to get, you know, an RFP for a, a lease or something like that, that that landlord is going to automatically go super high at the beginning or not, maybe not super high, but 
they're going to see how much they can get. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, this is how it works. I mean, um, so let me go back into when I was still doing landlord work. And this is one of the conversations that actually got me to become exclusively on the tenant buyer side for doctors. But I'm working for uh, the, the largest healthcare real estate trust in the country at the time. And they own um, a couple of class A medical office buildings in Denver. And we are on, on one campus in a, in a really nice suburb, two really nice MOBs. And I'm talking to the asset manager out of Scottsdale. He's sitting in a cube, looking at a piece of paper, the rent roll. And we're going, we're in tenant by tenant down the, down the list. And we get to the, the next one. And he says, all right, Dr. So-and-so leases up in four months. And he starts asking me questions. He says, um, has he contacted you yet? I said, nope. Um, uh, when did you contact him? I contacted him here. Uh, does he have a broker? Nope. Is he willing to move? Nope. Does he know the market? Nope. What's he paying right now? 27 a square foot. Go back to him at 31 a square foot. Wow. And I, and I, and, and my response was to the person, sir, I mean, we're marketing space in the building at 24 a square foot. If he just sees the brochure, he's going to know we're at 24 a square foot. He goes, I don't care go back and get it done. And I go, all right, well, how much tenant premium allowance? How much free rent? And he goes, nothing. And, and I'm like, I'm like, that's a, that's pretty egregious. And, and he, this is what it says. He goes, Colin, he goes, the market lease rate's the most that we can get. And, and, and then he literally says to me, get it done or I'll find someone else who will. True story. Oh, wow. Holy and so, you know, so you hear that and you're like, man, who is this guy? But, but here's the game. Like, like two parties are getting into a boxing ring. Like if one party is stronger, is he going to hit the other guy lighter? Like, no, like he's going to knock him out. Like if you were, if Rafi, if you're going to sell your house and, and your realtor said, Hey man, this market's crazy. You're the only house on the street available. I know your house is probably only worth five. I could probably get six fifty or seven for it. And there's four parties that want to buy it. What are you going to sell it for? Yeah. You sell nice. for the most you can sell. Yeah. And so the landlords are coming to these negotiations saying, Hey, listen, doctor, if you're if you're too busy or you're too ignorant or you're too foolish, pick pick the adjective you want to use, okay, to get professional representation. And you're coming into a a, a big boy and a big girl game here, where there's a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand, or there could be millions on the line, and you're going to do it at yourself. That's your choice. But I'm going to go for the win here. Like it's again, two two teams come on a field. The one team's not going to take it easier on the other team just because they're they're less prepared or they're not as good. Like they're going to crush them, and so that's how commercial real estate is played. You come into the arena, and they're going to assume that you know what you're doing, and if you don't know, that's on you, not on them. Yeah. And, and the game gets played that way. And doctors are trying to help people; they don't realize they're playing the game, but you're in the game whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Holy smokes! So, I guess like. So step number one for somebody would be contacting somebody that knows what they're doing and then kind of doing some research around the market. It sounds like most folks that are going into a lease just haven't even checked. They they find their one location that they're wanting and that is where they're going <laughs> as opposed to shopping around, right? Yeah. And then they just assume that everything is priced similarly. It's kind of like the idea of, well, you know what? Um, I, I ran out of a box of gloves. And so I, uh, how much different could the price be? And they just assume that there's everyone's selling the same stuff at the same price. It's not what's going on here. Like in commercial real estate, there's too many variables. What's the age of the building? Who owns it? How much debt do they have in the building? What's their margin? How long of a lease do you want? How much money do you need from them? How much vacancy do they have in the property? Do they have do they have a high motivation, low motivation? So you could have two properties side by side, and you could have you could the difference in terms you negotiated either one could be a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars difference, believe it or not. 
And most healthcare providers just assume it, it's, it's going to be close enough. Like, well, you know, whether I go to, you know, the Ford dealership here or here, well, you know, the, the F-150 is probably going to be the same price either way. So I'll just buy one. It's not what's going on in commercial real estate. There's too many variables and there's too many differences in motivations. Yeah. Since, since we're on the topic of healthcare and leases and all that, how much leverage does a landlord have? Because I'm thinking like, practice locations that have to credential with insurance companies and all that, like there's a big barrier to moving even, you know, a block and a half down the street. Like do landlords know that? And they're using that to their advantage on some of these negotiations or absolutely like, council folks like, don't worry about it. You're going to make more money in the end. <laughs> okay. So, it, so both. So the landlord does assume that the doctor's not going to want to move. They're going to assume that it's too disruptive to their practice. And again, if the doctor is already showing up without an agent or a broker in the, in the negotiation or the discussion, if they didn't have time to call someone and interview the broker and hire them, they're probably not going to take time to move as well. So then again, that's why if you show up to a negotiation without representation, they're just going to assume you don't know what you're doing. You don't have the time. Lockheed Martin's not showing up without a broker. Starbucks isn't showing up with a broker. Uh, Amazon's not showing up without a broker. Like These guys all have agents because they know how much is on the line. And so when a doctor shows up and says, well, you know, what's really going to be the difference? Or, or the doctor will show up and say, I can get a deal done. The landlords love that. Uh, so the landlords are, are going to assume they're not going to move. They don't have time. But the reality is, yes, is it disruptive to change your credentialing or to update information? Sure. Is it worth $150,000 to you to, to do that? The answer yeah. is absolutely. And typically you're moving from a nice building to a nicer building or from a, from an okay layout to a better layout. And you're going to upgrade to get all new finishes, you know, better ergonomics, better layout, might get better signage. And so if you look at the cost, it's pretty simple. It's disruptive for X number of hours to change documents and forms, X number of days to move, et cetera. But is it worth a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because any anytime we talk about any kind of negotiation or sales or or something like that, you're dealing with the the behavioral psychology component as well, like that whole sunk cost fallacy, and people don't want to move, and sometimes that blinds them from, like you said, a couple hundred grand could be on the line in some of these deals, right? And so here's the reality: a lot of times you don't have to actually move; you just have to be willing to move. That's the difference right there, because you got to flip the flip the script in the landlord. If you do move out, that's going to be very expensive for them. That's going to cost them a lot of money. They're not going to get rent for the next six months, 12 months, or 18 months, potentially. Um, they're going to have to then go out there and find a new tenant that may or may not be as good as you, you have been. They're going to have to put money into the space to renovate that space. They're going to have to go through a free build-out period for the new person to get permitting and actual CDs and then actually build out. They're going to have to get the next person free rent. They're going to be paying brokerage commissions to their agent and the other person's agent. And so you add up all those costs and, and here's what I'll tell you, the landlord is more concerned that you're going to move out than you are concerned that you might have to actually move. And it's just a matter of getting them on a level playing field and a really good agent will do that. A good agent will say, listen, landlord, if my guy moves out, here's what's going to cost you to release the space. I'm not asking you to do, to do a deal that, that doesn't make sense for, for both parties, but it's got to be fair. And so that's what a good agent's doing is they're getting the landlord to realize we are willing to move. We do have other options. And if we do move, you're going to be the one who loses more money than we're going through this process. And when the landlord knows that you understand what's going on, they treat you differently. Yeah. That's an interesting piece too. Like 
going into it, it seems like the landlord has all of the leverage, right? But you're, you know, what you just said, <laughs> like you walk away, just the willingness to walk away changes the power dynamic. That's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, and if you're not one to walk away, the landlord will sense that. They'll know that based upon things you're saying or doing or, or even even the, you know, the subconscious communication by, by what you're not doing. They're going to realize how serious you are about other options. And if they think that you have no other options, they're going to get you for the most they can. And then in the process, though, too, this is this is why it's subtle. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to be, hey, Rafi, by the way, too. I'm going to take you for $200,000 right now. <laughs> what, what they're going to do is say, you know, hey, Rafi, we, we don't normally do this, but we're going to do it for you. Um, no one else in the building is getting the deal that you're getting. I've got four other people that want your space right now when no one else is even there. Like They're going to tell you things and lie right to your face to try to get you to get uncomfortable or for you to think that you're getting a good deal. And it's not true. Like, like, I've watched landlords tell tenants before, We've never done this low of a lease rate for someone in the building. And, and we're like, we did a lease for a tenant two doors down with you like six months ago at a low. What are you talking about? Like, and then they realize, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I mean, they'll just tell they'll just tell that you. That was another building. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and again, you wish the world didn't work this way, but this is how the world works. It's people tell you what they think you want to hear. They'll tell you things that they think accomplish their agenda. And, and there's landlords that are honest. There's landlords that are dishonest. It doesn't really matter. They're going to try to win either way. So that that's the game people are playing. Yeah. Well, and so I'm, my, my brain's thinking about this too. So we've been talking a lot about the leasing piece of it. Like uh, from a percentage basis, maybe you, you have a, a sense of this. Maybe you don't have like real data, but a sense just given the, the amount of work and business y'all do. Like what percentage of these healthcare practices are in leasing agreements versus owning land and owning the real estate. Because I have a feeling, at least with the ones that I'm talking to, many folks are simply leasing their office space from somebody else. Maybe it's in a bigger, you know, bigger shopping center or something like that. Like they're, they're part of a commercial um, real estate leasing agreement, as opposed to owning the the land that they're sitting on. Yeah. So, I mean, I would tell you nationally, the percentage of people that, that lease are around 85, 90% from the healthcare yeah. industry. And then, um, but, but the numbers get skewed depending on the market you're in. For instance, if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a significantly higher percentage of people own there because there's additional product, there's land it's versus if you're in Los Angeles, it's going to be a lower number. And so it depends on the market. I'm in, I'm in Denver, for instance, um, it, it's still right around like that 10, 15% market people that own versus lease. But other markets, if you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you're going to have a significantly higher percentage that are leasing or sorry, that are owning versus leasing. So just depends on the market. Is that one of the bigger factors then when you're when you're advising clients and you should look to buy a space or you should look to lease a space or renew your lease? Like, is the main driver of that just the real estate price in general? Or is there something else that kind of might sway uh, a practice owner or a doctor to actually purchase some land, purchase a, a building? Yeah, the, the main the main um, factors are what is available and what is the cost of what's available. So there's certain markets right now where if you call us and said, hey, you know, I want to own, we would be able to tell you, hey, listen, you got four or five legitimate options. Plus, there's several pieces of ground you could buy and then develop your own building. So if you want to own, you have every option to own that you could possibly imagine. There's other markets where you call say, I want to own. And we could do the due diligence research and say, there's not one property available, like not even one property for sale right now. So yeah. we'd have to go to owners that currently own to see if they'd be willing to consider selling, even though they're not on the market currently. 
Um, so supply and demand, that's, that's a big part of it. But here's what I tell you. Every doctor should be looking at leasing and owning and should not predetermine which one makes more sense until they see the market. Right. Yeah. We have doctors that say, I don't want to own. And we'll say, listen, you could buy this building, build it out, brand new finishes, brand new ergonomics, exactly the way you want to. And the cost of you buying it and renovating it over a 20 year period of time would be less than if you leased it for the next 20 years. Like that's a no brainer. If you lease it, you're going to have nothing to show for it to return. If you own, you're going to have an asset worth a million or $2 million in 20 years. And the effective cost of owning could be less than leasing after depreciation, tax deductions, principal pay down. You, you need to look at this doctor. Other times, doctor, well, I have to own. And we're saying, listen, your option to own is going to cost you 40000 a month. Your option to lease is going to cost you 6000 a month. It's not worth it. And in the leasing scenario, the landlord will pay for your full build out. You have flexibility to move, increase space, decrease, relocate, et cetera. And we'll say, look, it's not worth owning right now. The lease is a way better option. Or there's times when doctors want to own and the option, the actual the property, the location is dramatically inferior. And say, look, you can own this, but the access is terrible. The parking's terrible. The building's not that nice. And the lease scenario is going to make your practice worth significantly more. And you're going to have a much higher increase in referrals and new patients uh, and walk-ins, et cetera. So again, is your main business real estate or is your main business healthcare? And we'll go back and forth. So bottom line here, look at your options to lease, look at your options to purchase, negotiate on both, and then let the numbers tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're doing a lot of this work with your clients. How much like should a, should a healthcare provider look at investing in this? Because I'm assuming like you're not working for free. So, <laughs> and you're looking at a, a practice owner, maybe a doctor, something like that who's, who is running a practice and trying to make the numbers work and they might just be price averse. Like, I don't want to spend, that's probably what pushes them to do it themselves, right? Like, I don't want to pay somebody else to do this for me. Um, cause it's going to cost me X number of dollars up front, right? Like how much is, is a realistic figure for somebody to, to look at hiring somebody like you to do this for them or to help them with the process? So the, the answer to your question is it doesn't cost the doctor any amount of money to hire a real estate advisor or an agent. Oh, that's and, that, and that, when that when they hear that, they're like, well, well how is that, that that possible? This is the beauty of how real estate works. Commercial real estate is just like residential real estate. If you're going to go buy a house in residential real estate, you hire an agent to help you go look at houses and submit contracts and, and work for you. You don't pay that, that agent a commission. The seller of the house pays their agent a commission, and they offer a portion of that commission to the buyer's agent. So Sydney, if you're going to sell your house, you negotiate a contract with one agent and that commission is built for two people though. It's built yeah. for your agent, but it's also built to entice another agent to bring you that, that yeah. buyer. The misconception that doctors have is, well, if I don't hire an agent, I'll save that money, but you're not the one determining the commission. You're not the seller in this situation. You are the buyer or the tenant, the seller of the property, the owner of the property determines the commissions and they've already predetermined it. So a lot yeah. of doctors they think exactly the way you just uh, positioned it is I don't have the money to spend on an agent or I don't have the time to find an agent or I'll just do it myself. And, and the irony is you're not paying the agent. They're going to save you 30 to 40 hours of your valuable time. So if you can free up a half an hour to an hour to call an agent and then hire them, they'll save you 30, 40 hours of your time. And then you say, well, I don't want to spend money on them. You're not going to spend a dime on them. And then they're going to save you, you know, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And so when these doctors are going out there doing it themselves, they're losing 30, 40 hours of their valuable time. 
they're costing themselves a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, and they're exposing themselves to pitfalls and complications and delays. And when it's all said and done, they have no peace of mind. They even did it the right way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's it's all these things. And we tell people all the time too. Even if even if an agent, like even let's say you hired us, even if we couldn't negotiate a deal that was much better than what was already on the table, which that'd be very rare. But let's say it happened, at least you'd have the peace of mind that you didn't miss an opportunity. You didn't yeah. miss seeing another another building. Or you didn't miss a purchase opportunity that wasn't listed, but was it actually available if you knew about it? You didn't. You didn't uh, miss uh, a chance to negotiate more aggressively. And so, you when you do sign that lease, if you have the peace of mind knowing I got the best terms possible and the best property possible, and I know that it did my due diligence, what is that peace of mind worth for you? I would argue it's worth a lot when you're running when you're running a business that's your largest asset. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess I really hadn't really thought about it like that. Like you just positioned it like, oh, it really doesn't cost you anything out of, out of pocket to do that. It's the equivalent of having an insurance plan yeah. and having a certain amount of insurance that you can spend per year and saying, well, you know, I'll just pay for cash. And it's like, no, don't do that. Your insurance company has an amount of money set aside. They're going to pay either a healthcare provider to do this, or they're going to keep the money themselves. And so it's like why insurance provider, or it's why uh, doctors say, Hey, listen, your insurance benefit runs out at the end of the year. If you don't use it this year, you lose it. The insurance company just keeps it. It's the same thing. If you don't hire a broker, the listing agent gets a double commission or the owner just pockets that money, but you're not saving money by not having an agent. In fact, you're going to lose a, a pretty healthy amount of money. I say, it sounds like you're losing a significant amount of money at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, what should clinicians or practice owners or doctors or whoever, like, what are the things they should be looking for in a, a real estate, a specifically a commercial real estate agent for healthcare? Like, is there obviously like experience in commercial real estate is important, but I'm sure there's more, <laughs> more nuance to it than that, right? Like you just can't go pick up any commercial real estate broker and be like, find something for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of similar question of like, well, someone says, well, I need a doctor. Like, well, what type of a doctor you need? You, you, you need a psychiatrist right now, or do you need an orthopedic surgeon? Like they, yeah, they can both be different terminology doctor. So you've got, you've got real estate agents that do just residential and the ones that do just commercial. So to start with, we need just commercial. The next part is we want someone that has healthcare experience because doing a, a therapy deal or a veterinary deal or a dental deal, that's very different than doing a car wash or doing a CPA yeah. firm. So you want someone that has healthcare experience. And then the next thing, which is very, very important is you need to find an agent that's not going to have a conflict of interest. And what I mean by that is if, if, if you want to go look in a certain part of a market and you hired an agent, well, if that agent or their firm represents multiple landlords or sellers in that area, they have, they have a bias now. They, they, they don't have a clean slate as far as your intentions and your objections uh, or objectives, excuse me, um, being first and foremost, they've got a conflict of interest because they also have a fiduciary to other people that they're already in a contract with. So yeah. if you show up and you want to look at one of their properties, they can't legally represent you and represent the owner. They're, they're in a place where they have to either represent one or neither. And if they're already in a contract with that landlord, it's going to be the landlord or neither, but you're going to get lots holding the bag on that one. And so it's really important that there's no conflicts of interest. And, and to do that, any agent that you're going to hire, you would have to ask them, do you have listings personally? Do you list property? Do you have owners or sellers you work for in this area? 
Or after my deal is done, are you, are you going to go and then try to contact the owner of my building and try to become their leasing agent? And the answer to those questions are, yes, I do. Or yes, I want to. That's not someone you want to hire. That's someone that has a conflict of interest. So commercial, healthcare experience, no conflicts of interest. That's what you're going for. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I always ask this at the, at the tail end. Let's just say somebody's catching us at the end or they're missing part of this. If you had like one or two main takeaways in this very, very important, likely lucrative or costly <laughs> venture um, for a listener, what would they be? Um, I would tell people to uh, give commercial real estate the respect that it deserves and realize there's $100,000, $300,000 on the line in every transaction, whether you recognize it or not. Don't assume that just getting a deal done is a victory. Signing a lease or buying a building and closing, yes, there's a victory there, but what was the cost or what was the loss to you in doing so? So treat commercial real estate with the respect that it deserves. Realize there's a lot of money on the line and then hire professional representation. The same reason that, that you would say, hey, as, as a provider, clinician, as an owner, I can get you a better outcome in your restoration, in your healing, um, in eliminating this disease and fixing this issue than if you just stay at home and search uh, internet uh, YouTube Women, videos. Yeah. <laughs> like I can do better than you can do. Hence, I've been, I've been trained, I've been doing this thing for 20, 30 years. It's no different in real estate. Like Getting the deal done is not the victory. It's getting the deal done properly with the maximum savings and the maximum profitability for your practice. That's the game plan. And when you look at it that way, it's a whole different, uh, whole different equation. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Colin, thanks so much for being on the show. If people want to find out more about you, your work, your firm, where can they, where can they do that? Yeah. Best place to find us is our website and that's car.us. So C-A-R-R.us. Uh, in the upper right-hand corner, you can uh, click to find an agent in your area. You can click to get a free lease or purchase evaluation. If you want to know how your current terms stack up against the market, or if you ever wanted to own uh, what it would cost to own in your area, we'll put together a very detailed analysis and take all the guesswork out so you'll know exactly what your options are. And then last, we've got a lot of really, uh, really solid educational resources, commercial real estate glossaries, FAQs. We've got literally hundreds of videos, articles, blogs. If you want to know more about commercial real estate, um, we will educate you at the highest level. Cool deal. Awesome. Well, thanks so much and uh, have a good one. You too. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Colin Carr about healthcare, commercial real estate, or commercial real estate for healthcare professionals, for practice owners, and, uh, and private practices. Listening back through the episode, through our conversation, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most when Colin and I were talking was the bit about who pays the broker fees in the event of a, a lease renewal or a lease negotiation. You know, obviously if you're purchasing a property, the broker is getting paid from a commission from the, from the seller for the price of the, you know, based on the price of the, of the sale. But I was not aware that it is something, it is a service that is there and available for the leasee or the tenant um, that gets paid for by the landlord if it's structured you know, appropriately. Um, and I know that, I think I mentioned this in the, in our conversation, like a lot of healthcare providers that I speak to, a lot of clinicians turned business owner that are running their own practice, they're trying to make the numbers work. You talk to them about getting some representation for a real estate deal. 
And the first thing they say is, I can't afford to pay somebody to go out and find these properties for me and to do the negotiation. Well, it helps, <laughs> helps if you're not footing the bill entirely, right? Um, and even then, you can make the argument that depending on how much you're saving on or, or how much you end up benefiting from the deal, it might be a worthwhile investment anyways. I'm starting to look more and more into everything that we do in our business lives more as a, an ROI. You know, what is, what is the return that we get for the dollars that we put in into this, whether it be a new piece of equipment, um, a new uh, employee or partnership or, or whatever the case may be, spending a little bit of money up front for some eventual upside on the back end is becoming a little bit more palatable as I carry on here in the in the world <laughs> i guess at the end of the day there's you can look at things as an expense or an investment i'm choosing to look at a lot of this kind of stuff now as as an investment and really that probably should be the way we're always looking at how we're spending our money in our healthcare businesses so um hopefully uh the the conversation you know brought some points to your mind that you hadn't thought of before maybe it helps guide your next uh lease negotiation or real estate negotiation or real estate deal. We're going to link to all of Colin's, uh, his website, his social media, all of that in the show notes. And you can find that at www.betteroutcomes.show. Um, and links to all of his, his contact information, everything will be there in case you want to reach out and talk to uh, one of his folks about your upcoming lease or purchase. All right. That is all I've got on the docket this week. Um, Until the next time, everyone be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.